Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Two Developers Down Under. My name is Mark Mandel. I am joined once again by the alliteratively awesome Kai Koenig. How are you doing today, Kai? Good morning, Mark. How are you? Ah, it's the afternoon here. There's a lot of noise outside, so hopefully we won't get too much background noise. What is that noise coming from? Where's that noise coming from? Is it the uh, mice in your kitchen? <laughs> yeah, so we've got mice. Let's see. I've got neighbors upstairs. I've got construction next door. I think my wife's trying to clean things up, which is fair enough, and I'm interrupting that endeavor. So, you know, yeah, all sorts enough. of good That's things. Good. Yeah, yep. life in San Francisco. What are you going to do? Uh, so how is the U.S. going? <sighs> Generally, it's going very well. Love okay. my job. Uh, it's going well. Of course, there are some hiccups. American bureaucracy being what it is. Uh, me having to say my name's Mark rather than my name's Mark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you sorted out like bank accounts and all that stuff, yeah, you would have, right? Yeah, that's all sorted. Um, and you're sending around checks as you do in the US and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. <laughs> did, I don't know. You No, actually, we haven't spoken since then. So I have Scooby-Doo checkbooks. Oh, Awesome. Yeah, so I had to send some checks for like rent checks when we're in temporary accommodation and we've got a homeowners association where I'm living, so like sort of body corporate type deal. I was like, I need a checkbook. This is stupid, but I need a checkbook. Uh, so I'm just going to look for the most ridiculous checkbook I can possibly find. <laughs> and so I went for, yeah, I went for the, what was it? It's like, it's like Scooby-Doo pictures with like the most ridiculous cursive font I could come up with. I was like, yeah. Comic Sans yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I think it's even worse than that. So like I had to send like $370 to the Department of Homeland Security to prove to be like, hey, can my wife please work in this country? Um, so I'm like the division of some dude sitting in, you know, Homeland Security, assuming it's a guy, of course, but I don't know. Um, just some worker, like just stuck in a gray cube, getting this, this, you know, Scooby-Doo checkbook with Scooby and a gang, you know, with a mystery <laughs> van on it, $370 saying, please can my wife work in this country. That is cool. But uh, yeah, otherwise, other than that, I'm loving working in developer relations. I'm loving being a developer advocate and running around and being at conferences and talking to people and building community and doing all that sort of crazy stuff so yeah you've, no. you've been to a few conferences lately right and i think we're going to talk about <laughs> some of that about a bit later. million yeah oh, a million <laughs> actually i don't know i was actually someone was asking me i was like uh six uh maybe six ones i'm actually not sure yeah but see the downside is obviously you have to travel domestic in the u.s which is like it's true really bad so it's kind of funny because I have gold status with a with a Qantas, which gives me Sapphire status with One World, which gives me lounge access for American on Air. American, but, yeah, yeah. But the people I know who are gold on American don't get lounge access because reasons. Oh, it, I, I can explain actually the reasons. It's because American wants to make money with their own domestic flyers. And yeah. you know, they only let people into their lounge because they have to, really. And they have to because they want to be in one world. So they have to let you in or me in with our corner status, basically. Yeah. But their own flyers, that's, they can do whatever the fuck they want. And that's yeah. just so what all it my is, frequent yeah. flyer points are going back to America. No, sorry. And okay, I'm going back to Qantas. All my, so all my status is going back to Qantas. But I have to fly United soon, and I'm not looking forward to that. Flying outside of status sucks. United is, they have a hub in San Francisco, right? So a lot of flights yeah. leave from San Fran on United, I guess. 
Yeah, it's um, it's not like it's not. I'm mean, not gonna be terrible, but you know, I'm gonna miss my priority boarding and my my lounge access and all the good things I like. Yeah, um, I I'm also staying at a hotel outside of my status, and it's just quite frankly, first world problems. It's terrible. Yeah, travel is so hard. <laughs> Life is so hard for you. <laughs> Life is terrible. So let's let's talk more technical stuff. Uh, which I'm oh, sure you mean the thing have. of the day, which is so technical. Oh yeah, sorry, we haven't done that yet. We're, yeah, we yeah, haven't yeah. done this in too long. It's just well, the thing of the day. I actually have um, two technical things and one political thing in there. Okay, what do you want to hear first? I, you know what? Surprise me. Okay, I surprise you. So the first technical thing in 2011, the Mars Science Laboratory launched to Mars with the Curiosity rover. Oh, that's cool. 2011 today, so four years ago. Four. Yeah, yeah four years ago. The political thing, the worst president of the U.S. in recent history was certified the winner of Florida's election um, in that kind of semi-fraud election process in 2000. So that's when George W. Bush became president of the U.S. And the yeah. third technical thing, or the third thing, which is technical, was the Concorde made its final flight in 2003 today. Okay. Okay. Uh, mine, I don't know if necessarily, uh, possibly, no, interesting in different ways. Uh, 25th okay. of November here. I've got the International Day of the Elimination of Violence Against Women today. So that's pretty cool. Oh, mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, considering the fact we have mice in our, in our uh, condo, uh, <laughs> the mousetrap opens at London's Ambassador Theatres in 1952. That's ironic. Yep. Um oh, I had some other ones. The British government outlaws the IRA in 1974. Evaporated really milk is, is that patented. late? Apparently so. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, evaporated milk is patented today. What? What is yeah. evaporated, evaporated milk? milk? Like condensed milk? Oh, condensed milk. Okay, yeah. Yeah, patented today. Uh, most importantly, though, it's Christina Applegate's birthday. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. so important. What would we Very have done important. without knowing that? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably more more other things. <laughs> So there we go. Thing of the day. Cool. So we've got a whole massive list of stuff to talk about today, right? <laughs> yeah, which I'm sure we probably won't get to half of it. No, most likely not. But, you know, we can at least give it a try. Okay. So the first thing I put on that list, actually, is what are you playing at the moment? Do you have still time to play games? Are you playing anything? Oh, I am playing games. I'm playing Far Cry 4 at the moment. Really? It's decent. It's decent. On, on it's what? Decent. On your PC. On... Oh, Okay. Interesting. On Linux? Yeah. Or on a VM? No, Windows. I boot into Windows and I play games. Okay. I put that actually on on the list because I recently got into back into playing Nintendo again. Oh, classic Nintendo? No, 3DS. So when I was in um, Europe with Diana for vacation in uh, late August, the, the father of Diana's godchild kind of talked me into playing, um, oh, what is it called? Monster Hunter 4. Okay. Which is like, um, sure. like a you know, Nintendo Universe kind of action role-playing thing where you run mm-hmm. through like the landscapes and you kill monsters and you have to complete missions, like the typical role, action role-playing thing. And so that requires a 3DS, so I thought like, ah, oh, what the fuck, I just buy a 3DS. And then it kind of took off from there. I bought a whole bunch of other games, and I'm now totally immersed into playing on my 3DS again. It's really cool. And it actually takes the DS modules um, okay. as well. So I had like one a first generation DS from 2000, 
three or four probably something like that and a bunch of games so i can play them again now and it's actually really good fun i just yesterday picked up two older games pre-owned at eb games like um the lego movie game for 12 dollars and mario world golf tour blah 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 whatever for 20 dollars it's like oh yeah whatever i have something to play for christmas now cool sounds good yeah Okay. So is Far Cry 4 any good? Far Cry 4 is good. I like the story better in Far Cry 3. Um, and if you've ever if you ever played Far Cry Blood Dragon, that's worth playing. Okay. Have, so Far Cry, you... Far Cry Blood Dragon is like a total ripoff of really bad 80s action films. Mm-hmm. So you play this ridiculously bad action film character. There's like dragons that are neon that shoot lasers out of their eyes. Everything is in bright pink neon. It's brilliant it's so worth playing okay are you playing any console stuff or only pc i never play console stuff mm, okay fair enough i'm a hardcore pc gamer PC i need gamer. my mouse and my keyboard <laughs> yeah that's fine okay cool that was interesting there you go all right so what tech stuff are you playing with what are you working on at the moment i have no idea um i work or well, most of my work currently goes into that ongoing client of mine that yep. you probably still remember what that is, but you do I dating stuff. Yeah. I do dating stuff, yeah, but that's the widest, you know, possible and thing I want to talk about <laughs> in detail. Um, yeah, but the uh, that's mainly what we're doing, and we're currently relaunching a mobile, a new mobile site with them. Um, cool. So that's actually in the works, but I do a lot of the backend stuff for that, and I'm not doing much of the front end coding for that. Yeah. But through that whole, you know, dating in the widest context, I got actually, I found an interesting new technology that I haven't seen or heard of before, which is that um, seaweed FS, which I've put on the list to talk about as well. Where is that? It's a no, it's basically, you know, you know how, how you have no SQL databases? Yeah. This is a no FS file system. How does that make sense? Yeah, that's actually, we can talk, do you want to talk about it now? We can. Let's I'm, talk I don't, about it. I'm, I'm I don't like, really curious now. So basically, have you heard of uh, Facebook's Haystack concept? No, not really. All right. So Facebook obviously has to deal with a lot of photos, right? Like gazillion of photos. Yeah. And they wrote a paper. Let me just see if I can actually, if I have that somewhere. I think I have that. Okay, I'm reading the readme as I'm sitting here. Okay, so it's like a whole distributed file store, file store, but with some really interesting concepts in it. Yeah. So basically, the Google guy, uh, the Facebook guys, pushed out that paper that's called "Finding a Needle in Haystack: Facebook's Photo Storage." And yeah. it's like a you know scientific paper, like 10, 12 pages, where they explain how they build the Facebook photo system and why they built it in the way they've done, essentially. And the problems that they had and they tried to solve with that are the typical problems of like, you know, normal file systems running stuff over CDNs and having issues mm-hmm. with like the POSIX-based file systems, basically, where you have like lots of metadata and, you know, um, permissions and you have to do multiple accesses to get the inodes of the file system and yada, yada, yada. So basically they couldn't scale on a normal file system and they even couldn't really scale on an NFS kind of network file system thing. Gotcha. So they built um, a system they call Haystack basically, which is a distributed file system architecture that allows them to get 
to the images that they need as soon as they can, cache things appropriately, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Hey, Suki. <laughs> Keep talking, I'm just going to mute. Yeah, that's fine. No, it... <laughs> Suki, shut up. <laughs> you know, it gives the whole thing a bit more realism. We're normal people, so the they they yeah, built that fine. haystack architecture basically. But you know, a yeah. haystack is not a it's not a a platform that anyone can use. So the guys who did CVDFS basically built a distributed file system based on the haystack ideas, and that looks really really cool because I looked into that because um obviously when you deal with you know a dating scenario in the widest sense, you right away have lots of photos to deal with. And so from that point of view, that whole concept of distributed file storage kind of became quite appealing and interesting to me. So I downloaded CVDFS. I read an article in a, in a magazine about it a few weeks ago. So I downloaded it, and it's actually written in Go, which is kind of interesting. Um, okay, that works. Yeah. They have like, I mean, you can build it, but they have like a whole bunch of binaries as well that you can just grab. And it... It is super easy. So essentially, you run the binary. It gives you kind of a you can just run it on you know one machine to play with and test with. Okay. It gives you like a master server running on port nine thousand something whatever, and then yeah. it gives you one to many volume servers, and you communicate with your file system through a REST API basically. Okay. Um, I mean, there are a whole bunch of concepts going into that. Basically, you do like a, a for example, a post to the master server that gives you a new file ID and a hash associated with that. Then you can use that file ID and the hash to actually send a put to a volume server to upload your file or a get to get a file and interact with with it that way. The nice thing is it distributes really well across like yeah. you know many volume servers. What is a bit tricky is. There is still that concept of a master server that okay. basically gives you the you know the hashes and the ID and manages all that stuff. So yeah. you have to kind of build a few things in you know with from a replication sure point of view down. that yeah. that thing doesn't go down basically. Um, so I haven't played with it in a large network network context yet. I've got it running on um, one machine and on a Raspberry Pi to test it over a network, but not in a production or production-like setting. But it looks really, really cool. And it is so lightweight that it is ridiculously fast. If you have like many files to store that are not like massive, not, we're not talking about like, you know, hundreds of megabyte per file. Yeah. It is ridiculously fast in finding and retrieving files and, you know, delivering them basically back to you via REST. So that's a really interesting thing. They have a bunch so... of APIs. Okay, cool. They have a bunch of APIs to um, to pull stuff, mainly for you know, platforms like Java, JavaScript, Go. I think um, there is something for PHP and Python. And I've, I'm pretty sure I've saw something for Scala, but I'm not quite sure, but not 100% sure about that. So I mean, REST, you, I mean, there's clients. Yeah, so you can still you know easily use REST or build yourself your own you know API library for it if you want to. So what I was trying to work out was like. Is there a good reason why I'd want to use this over something managed like S3 or Google Cloud Storage? Or is this more just a, I want to build my own cloud sort of um, distributed storage mechanism? Well, I think if, if you want to build your own distributed storage me mechanism, that's the proof, that would be a preferred option over something like S3. You can actually, funny enough, use 
uh, seaweed in combination with S3 as well. So you don't have to you know, completely leave it out of S3. You can store your stuff in S3 and still use the file system to manage the distribution for stuff of it, side of it. But is this like faster or better? I don't know. Like... I, okay, I, or is it I just could... interesting? It's just interesting. I don't know. If I was to use it, I probably wouldn't use it in combination with S3 because the, what I find really nice about Seaweed is you can you can run kind of a distributed system in on your own machines or in your own cluster. Okay. So if you're servers. running like yeah, so if you're running like on prem and you don't have access to the cloud or you can't use cloud or something like that, something like yeah. this. So that, sense. Okay, that cool. makes that it makes a sense. really compelling use case from my point of view, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um what it doesn't really do is kind of authentic well it does authentication, but it doesn't do like a, a really nitty gritty fine grain file access rights permission mm. space. Well, setup. it's not doing POSIX, right? Yeah, so... Yeah, exactly, right. So, And that yeah. is obviously why it's so fast, because it doesn't have to deal with all the overhead and the metadata that comes with, you know, basically emulating a POSIX-based file system. So you could build your own author over the top, especially if it's just a REST yeah, API. That, you could, like, BBC what, it out or something like that. And that's what they're actually saying, basically. You know, if you want to have, like, that kind of permission, build it into your client. Yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So that's an interesting uh, thing I had a bit of a play with in the, over the last few weeks, and I'm kind of reasonably keen to use that at least in a trial in a production setting somewhere. Okay. In some cool. way. Cool. That sounds like fun. Me, I am so deeply, darkly down in the Docker rabbit hole. It is ridiculous. So you Docker <laughs> everything now? I Docker all the things. Oh man, no, not everything, but just yeah, fairly <laughs> close. Uh, yeah, uh, gave presentation actually recently at ClojureConj and at the meetup before that, uh, slightly different version. But uh, um, so I've been doing a lot of stuff where I've been building like development environments with Docker. Um, See, that is interesting. How how do you how do you get started with that? Oh, that's that's actually pretty straightforward. Um, so if you're interested, I should actually throw uh, the notes for uh, where am I? There's a whole presentation I do about wrapping uh, closure tooling in Docker containers. It, though it's got a bunch of stuff in it that is a bit closure specific, but you could take the concepts and quite easily extend them without any problem. Um, so it's it's pretty straightforward in a lot of ways. So you build a Docker container like you normally would, um, which gives you a standard to sort of like what gets provisioned inside the Docker container. Um, but then what you end up doing is, um, so you can Docker run and you run it, you tell it to run a directive terminal. Um, you tell it to run something like bash or CSH so that you have, you have an actual terminal that you can interact with. And normally what I also do is, well, what you have to do is I mount. So I do a volume mount to mount wherever my source code is and put that inside my Docker container. And once I have that, that means I have all my tools that I want to build like a particular project um, ready and available so, to me. Can I just interrupt you quickly? So you sure. mount, you have your, your source code in the container yep. or you mount it into the container? I mount it into the container. Okay, so yeah, have that's fair enough. So have it locally it on the machine still, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, because that's, that's, this is the fun bit, right? So Docker containers in and of themselves, so they're essentially immutable. So whenever you start them up, they come from a, a static state. But that source folder, that's your immutable state that you're kind of controlling. Yep. So you, you make sure that only the things shift that you want to shift, which is quite powerful. But the other thing I really love about it is it's like, you know, the example I gave uh, when I was doing the closure talk was like, I have a machine, it has Java 1.7 on it, it has no Linegan installed. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's like a build system like Grunt or Make or a bunch of other stuff. 
It's um, basically so the, the, the closure-based build system. Really. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then so then I fire up my Docker container and I run, uh, I've got some make, I actually have a make file I normally run with it um, for all my sort of aliases and, and sort of things. But I run make shell and that logs me into my container and suddenly I have Java 1.8, right? I have Linux installed. If I'm doing closure script, which sometimes, you know, I do very occasionally, I might have Node installed as well. I don't need to remember to install all these particular things on my host machine or the particular versions that I need either. And I can set up everything I want inside my container to be specific for that project. Um, it's pretty much how I build stuff now. So anytime I sit down to a project, the first things I write are a Docker file and a make file. Um, and then I just continue on from there and just put all the stuff that I need to do you know, for that project inside there. So that means that if I ever come back to that project, worst case scenario, I rebuild my Docker file. Uh, best case scenario, I pull down the image for that development environment from my Docker registry and uh, I'm ready to go, which is pretty awesome. Hmm, interesting. You know what I'm actually waiting for in some way is because I've got some clients who um, run their things on Windows servers for various reasons. Yeah. Um, that you can actually run Windows in a container. And I know that there is something happening. I think Microsoft made an announcement a few I don't know, weeks, months, years, no, not years, month ago probably, that they want to work with the Docker guys on something like that. But that would be really neat because currently, obviously, running only Linux, that works for a bunch of use cases, but it yeah. doesn't really work for every single scenario where it would need it. Yeah, that's just Windows use cases, though, so who cares? Well, you know, there are a bunch of people who do care, actually. Personally, I'm not a fan, a big fan of hosting on Windows, but it's like, well, you know, if you've got clients who decide to do that, it's, you have to find a way to deal with that I'm in some way, right? Horrible, horrible. I'm a horrible, horrible human being, clearly. <laughs> you totally are. So you will never yes. work for Microsoft. No. Oh, well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for, there's actually a YouTube video. It's actually, um, the funny, funny thing is, um, yeah, so at ClojureConj, um, I got there, not at the time I wanted to get there, unfortunately. I got there um, literally just as my presentation was meant to start, and, which which I was not particularly happy with myself about, but that's a whole other thing. But I got there, I would have been fine if like I plugged in my laptop and the projector wouldn't like didn't do anything. <laughs> like it was like I can't like my computer was like, there's no other screen. I don't know what to do. Uh, so we waited around for a bit and um, in the end I was like, okay, let's just do this without slides. This should be fun. No demo, no slides. Uh, thankfully, <laughs> just as I was hitting the point for the demo, um, they finagled some things and we got a screen back and I was able to complete the presentation. Um, it actually came oh, out, cool. I think actually came out really well. I was actually really impressed. Um, I was like, sure, we can do this without slides. It'll be interesting. I'll just talk through everything that's going to happen. I think um, Mark, Mark yeah. Drew had something like that a few weeks ago. He was at NC DEFCON in... Yeah, didn't they had a power outage? Yeah, and the whole city had a power outage, basically. And he was like, all right, what do we do now? Yeah. Let's just talk about media or without anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my teammates was like pro level. <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. I was like, we can do this. It'll work. Why not? Um, I know my presentation pretty much through and through, so it should be right. Uh, but no, it came out. It came out. It came out pretty well. I was pretty, so if you actually watch the recording, the first two or three slides in there, um, the audience can't see. So I make a comment like, "So as you can see, or not," and the whole audience laughs. It's because there's actually nothing on the screens. Um, 
So, that was so why did you where did you just arrive for your talk in time? I mean, why didn't you come in earlier? What happened? Because I totally mixed up my time, and I thought that I was... Oh, so you were yeah. there, you just... I was there, yeah. Okay, I was like, I thought... oh, I'll get there at 3, and that'll make me really on time for 3.30. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. No, actually, I start at 3. And I was editing a podcast, and I just was tired, and there's no excuse. I feel really bad about it. That's, that's really, really poor form. Yeah, yeah. But it came, out, it came out well in the end. Yeah, it came out well in the end. And yeah, like I said, if I put a plug-in and everything, it would have been fine. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't. But yeah, so if you're interested in Docker development environments, it's worth watching the recording. Um, it's it's uh, it's definitely the way I like to build stuff now, and it means I can share these things too, which I really love. Um, so we haven't we haven't talked about it yet, but um, like I started a new podcast with another guy, which we're going to talk about in a bit, and we have a Docker development environment for letting us edit our website and do all the work we do on our website. And we share that image around. And so it makes things really, really simple. Like there's no like, this works for me. Oh, did you install that thing? No, I didn't. You know, yeah. you can just keep that image up to date between the two of you or however big your team is. And that's that works really well. And if you have like an open source contributor community, who want to be able to do stuff uh, without having to set up all the 15 things they need for your particular project, um, doing that too. So I'll segue into something else. So I'm actually doing some work to one of my closure libraries and doing exactly that right now. Mm. Sorry, I'm just thinking, like the for for an open source project, actually, that's a really good idea. To yeah, have like a awesome. development environment to just provide and give people everything to contribute, just like that. It's yeah. Really so I'm building. Uh, I've got a library called Brute, which is an entity component system library for doing game stuff with Clojure. Uh, it's supported across Clojure and Clojure Script um, uh, yeah, through something called CLJX, which is sort of generative. But the new version of Clojure has what's called reader conditionals baked into it. So it basically gives you nice ways to both to write code that could kind of switch between closure, different implementations between closure and closure script and have it baked into the actual language. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm switching that over, but while I'm doing that, I'm building a Docker file so that you can just be like, uh, here's my make target or whatever. Uh, here's the command I run, fires up the Docker container, runs all your tests for closure, runs all your tests for closure script, and you don't need to worry about installing well, anything really. Um, It'll just run for you, so it should, it should hopefully work quite well. Um, mm, I hope cool. it'll help with um, that, and then I can tie it into my continuous integration stuff as well. So I can just be like, continuous integration, do this thing, and it'll be like, sweet, no worries. Um, so it okay. should work. Should that work really nice. Well. So that's there we go. But yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm way down. I've done a heap of stuff now too with like building GUIs, running GUIs inside. Docker containers, I know like four different ways of doing that now too. I just I've <laughs> it way too much. I got at one point I had I had this working. It was really flaky though. Um, but I had a Docker container that was running VirtualBox that had spun up Kubernetes, which could then run containers inside it. You could actually run, you know, coming back to that Windows idea. Couldn't you do something like you run a Docker container with VirtualBox running Windows running? whatever you want in there but then you kind of you know that's kind of leaving you're missing the point because you want something light white and then you don't want to run windows for yeah. windows in a docker container yeah i was doing that because i wanted to have a kubernetes dev development environment um it didn't really work out very well so i, I gave it up <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair enough <laughs> it was a good idea in theory have you um updated your you know coding environment to intellij 15 yet I have. It's really nice. It is nice, isn't it? I really like yeah. it. It's the um, the HDPI support, so high-resolution display. is so much better on Linux. It's amazing. It's a whole it's a whole other thing. Um, I find it yeah, actually no, much faster market. as well when you do searches and when, when it indexes your code base and everything. Yep. 
Yeah, and the yeah, new preview in the search is really cool. You know, you type in what you're searching for, yeah. and, and it shows you like the first hundred or whatever occurrences right oh, away. It's it like, is. oh, yeah. why do I need to do a full search? I just found it. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah, it's really sweet. It's really sweet. Um, actually, totally randomly, um, I got to play with Android Studio recently. Speaking of IntelliJ, for all of which is IntelliJ, really, which is IntelliJ, but it's got some extra stuff on top. Like it yeah. actually does. Like I was, I was trying to do stuff from Android Studio IntelliJ. You can't really do it. But uh, yeah, I got to do a Firebase and, and um, uh, Android workshop with a teammate. I got to TA for that. That was good fun. So I actually okay. I actually have written some Android code now. Yeah, I've, I worked on an Android app earlier this year. And yeah, you said you were having lots of fun doing that. Yeah, and it was actually really cool. It was you know a good thing to do. And yeah. if you know Java, it's not really that hard to get into Android, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. I'd rather not write, write Java if I can avoid it, but, you know, I'll take it. Actually, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I, oh, that's interesting. You know, it's, we haven't, don't have that on our list, but I read an article the other day from someone at JetBrains, and yeah. they developed, you know, they developed that language Kotlin for Kotlin. the JVM? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of, it's a semi-functional language, isn't it? Something like that. I, I've never actually looked at it, to be honest. It looks really interesting, but they have written a really lengthy tutorial about how to use Kotlin for Android development, nice. which I found really interesting because, I mean, that could be... And a, a few years ago, I saw a talk from someone in Aussie at, and I, I think, Yao, Yao Mobile or Yao IoT, whatever it was called, last year, yeah. maybe. And he was talking about how he used Scala for Android development, which yeah. worked fine for them, for their project. But what he basically said is like... It's all good, you know, as long as it works. But if something doesn't work and you use Java. You, you don't use Java, you're basically screwed, pretty much. Because yeah, hardly yeah. anyone will be able to help you with anything. <laughs> so I had a, um, actually had a really interesting conversation with a guy, um, uh, Colin Fleming, who writes an IDE for Closure called Cursive Closure. And basically because of Mac OS X and the weird stuff that happens with the JDK there, he has to support some parts of it with Java 6 mm -hmm. because he, he has to run that because of OS X. Uh, and he's porting a bunch of the Java code he's written over to Kotlin uh, basically because it's nicer than Java and it's supported with uh, Java 1.6, which I thought was quite quite interesting. So that interesting. was his impetus okay. for me. He's like, well, at least I can write in something that's not like Java 6. Um, and, and something that's a bit nicer than that. So I, thought I, that I think Kotlin has recently reached like a 1.0 stage or something like that. So um, it's maybe a bit more worthwhile looking at it now. Yeah, I've never looked at it. I have to be completely honest. Generally, Clojure is my JVM language of choice. Um, I, I really try not to, to write object-oriented code if I can avoid it these days. What do you um, mean? Isn't, isn't Adobe called Fusion 12 your JVM language of choice? You're speaking words, but I don't know what they mean. <laughs> they don't make I'm, sense. Uh, they don't make sense. I'm a little confused. Uh, no, strangely enough, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can see why. Um, yeah, so that's fun. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll have a look at Kotlin. It's kind of interesting. There's uh, there's Frig or Friga, which is Haskell. Yeah, that's like JVM. a Haskell for JVM, right? That's yeah. done by um, uh, Dirk Koenig. From Germany. Do you happen to know him? I'm just assuming you do, because German people all know each other. Yeah, we're such a small country in Germany, right? Everyone knows each yeah, other, basically. Not, yeah, no, I, I know him 
from like years back when I was living in Germany, basically. He was like, Oh, really? You do actually know him? I was just yeah, giving you great. I, do, actually, I actually do know him, but I'm not related to him or anything like that. <laughs> and secret it, German meetings. No, I saw that he you know, was quite vocal about, um, about Frege recently. They had a bunch of you know, yeah. meetups and hack weekends and stuff like that where they actually tried to make it a bit more popular and people are pushing. Yeah. Pushing I think I read he was just like, I've been mucking around with type systems and I kind of just wanted to see what would happen. And then this language came out and suddenly I was like, wait a minute, let's like write Haskell for JVM. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, will be much, fun. Yeah. So your Haskell learning is going super slowly, I heard. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's okay. Time. Time, time. Uh, just, yeah. It's fun though. I like it. Um, the learning curve at Haskell, like it's, I've been doing a bunch of stuff or doing a bunch of stuff. I've been thinking of a lot about like language and popularity and like learning curves and complexity and all this sort of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, there was an exceptional talk that actually I think you'd probably love at strange look this year. You missed an exceptional strange look, I must say, but, um, he, uh, I'll have to actually find it. It was, I believe it was called evidence-based programming. Um, basically he was talking about how computer science doesn't use any science when actually designing languages. So basically everything about what a language does and how it does it is purely based on anecdotal research, right? It's what do I like? What are the people I know they like? They've talked to me and told me what they like. Um, and sometimes that works because people are very experienced or they get lucky or whatever else. But, um, he was talking about doing sort of randomized control trials with language design. Does this that keyword would be work? interesting? And it was fascinating. I was just like, and he's just, he's totally like, it's like the top of the iceberg, like totally like from what he's picked apart. He's writing a language. I want to say it's called Quorum um, where he does exactly that. Um, and like things like um, for loops, right? So you write for, and as a professional, we very rarely get that wrong. As a beginner, that's something they get wrong, something like 80%, something ridiculous, right? They get it, they get it wrong a lot. If you change that forward to the word repeat, suddenly the success rate goes becomes like almost 100%, right? Which is crazy. But okay. if you actually do the research and work it out, like things like that can be worked out, which is really cool. Um, there were so many, like so many amazing things that it was just like, like what, what works for professional, what doesn't work for professional, what works for beginner, what doesn't work for beginner. Um, sort of once, <laughs> once you kind of have that research, then you can design languages with the right trade-offs mm-hmm. as well. You can be like, this language is for professional developers who do FP and have done it for 10 years and be like, boom. Like, and that's fine. And then you're like, okay, cool. Then I know what I'm getting into when I step into this thing, you know, um, that sort of stuff. It's, no, so, it's totally fascinating. That's a really interesting discussion, actually. I, I don't know if you, if you know that, but at uni, I did um, philosophy, math, and computer science, like a combination yeah. degree. And I just dug that out while you were explaining, you know, about language design. I wrote a paper back then in 2003 that was actually discussing if computer science is really a science. Yeah. And my conclusion was it's actually not. It's actually not. (laughs) And I I believe still that computer science, at least as we do it today, is pretty much like kind of an engineering skill or an engineering discipline. It's not yeah. a science as a traditional science like math or physics or, you know, stuff like that. And, f- you know, for various reasons. And one of them is that kind of evidence and proof-based approach that computer science really doesn't have in its 
in its practical application. I'm sure there is a science part, you know, in a formal computer science part where you do like, where you, you know, talk about complexity theory and you build parthers and you prove things well, and yeah. stuff like that. Or, or even like category theory and say like yeah, type exactly. systems and stuff like that. But, yeah. but, you know, like the practical application of computer science is really not a science. It's like an engineering discipline. Yeah. But yeah, I know this, this totally blew my mind when I was thinking about it. Like there's so many things you know, uh, from tooling through to like, I mean, a lot of, I would actually say a lot of tooling stuff, like, um, ever, I, I know I've heard a lot of the stuff that happened to like visual studio and stuff like that, where they do actual like tests with people in front of machines, see what works, what doesn't mm -hmm. but, like language design, like is a type system better than a non-type system, like actually answering those questions and at what level does it become better? Is it better for a beginner? Is it not having a curly brace on the top line or the next line? Is that better or worse? Are curly braces even a good idea at all? Mm. So are other people who gave their talk actually doing research into yeah. that? Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Um, but like I said, scratching the surface, um, I want to say, I want to try and find the language. He's he's written a language, or it's a sort of a Java derivative um, that, uh, whatchamacallit, I want to say it's called Quorum. I'll have to find it. Yeah, so he is actually doing that and sort of trying to apply this to this language and then sort of, Iterating on that. Yeah, it is quorum. Q U O R M. Okay. Never heard before. Um, no, me neither. Just because we, you know, how we got into this whole language discussion was like IntelliJ. Um, what do you think of the JetBrains licensing licensing changes? Yeah, don't care. <laughs> okay, that's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, I think the initial. I mean, for the people who don't know that, basically. JetBrains yeah. used to have a license system where you bought a software, you paid your you know your fee for that, your price, yeah. and you owned it. Perpetual license. True. And then you would get an upgrade offer if you upgraded, you know, within a year after the first year or something like that. Which I did every price. year. Yeah, yeah, me too, pretty much, right? Uh, or well, mostly at least. For a few years I was using an open source project license from the Rilo project, and you know, now I'm basically on a commercial commercial license again. And yeah. um, so now they, well, a few months ago in September, they uh, announced that they're going to change the licensing system to a subscription. So yeah. pretty much similar to Adobe does with Creative Cloud and Microsoft with Office 365 and all that stuff, basically. So you don't own your license anymore. You rent it from, you rent it from JetBrains. And they got so much shit for that. It oh, was they got, yeah, they got a whole heap of hate mail. Unbelievable. Oh, it's insane. I mean, I, you know, but you it, there was like the internet. No, a lot of people had actually good arguments, I think, right? Like, I think, I think honestly, Adobe got away with doing that because they are massive yeah, and they have a monopoly basically with Photoshop. Yeah. And designers maybe don't care that much about their development or their environment they work on. And I have the feeling that developers are a bit more. I want to own my thing. I don't want to rent it. And to be fair, you know, like when you looked at the pricing, it wasn't really a good deal. You know, basically JetBrains would have said, well, you know, if you basically rent it on an annual subscription, you pay the same that it would have cost you to buy it before, but now you don't own it anymore. So if yeah, you you're stop, not getting, you're not getting a better deal. So what's the, you know, what's the deal? And so they got a lot of shit for that, which was fair enough, I think. But now they pedal uh, back and um, they offered a solution where there's still a subscription. The prices have changed a little bit. I think they've become a bit cheaper even. 
And with a 12-month subscription or having a monthly subscription for 12 months in a row, mm. you basically get a perpetual license of the version you started the 12th month with. That makes sense. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Because that means like if you subscribe for like two years or something like that, and then you decide to stop, at least you have the, la the last version that you, you paid exactly, for yeah, as a with. perpetual yeah. license. And I think that's really a fair compromise between the two approaches, really. So I'm happy with that. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense for them to like, just as a business, like you know that people are going to be giving you money on a given date. Like having that that revenue come in, like I totally understand why companies want to do that. Otherwise, like every release is just a risk. And that's, that's pretty terrifying as a company. I can totally see that. Yeah, but on the other hand, you know, like doesn't it doesn't the subscription model stop the need for innovation? You know, if you if you depend on let's say a new oh, version being point. released, right? You have to yeah. build some compelling features and make some significant improvements for people, people to buy. Always, otherwise, they stay on whatever. Or they move to another competing product, and it's not like there's not a bunch of stuff in the IDE space. Yeah, that is fair enough. But on the other hand, if I know it's just, I, it's, you know, I get, I get what you're saying. Like, I, I think it's kind of valid. I, I do see your point, but I would, I would also argue that competition would ha would breed the innovation more than like anything else. But so, yeah, I see your point. It does, it does sort of lower the impetus a little. If we talk about, if we talk about good Java or JVM IDEs, okay. I mean, I don't want to say Eclipse is not an alternative, but it's not really a good alternative, to be honest. I mean, I find I haven't looked at Eclipse in a really long time. I don't know if it's gotten better or worse. I'm when, you know, now. when the, when JetBrains announced that change, just for, for yeah. fun, because I was actually kind of a bit annoyed about, you know, that subscription model. I had a look at Eclipse. I downloaded the latest Eclipse mm. and just try to write a simple Java program with it and then install CF Eclipse into it, try to do a bit of confusion in it. And I thought, no, I just can't stand it. It's like after yeah. after half a day, just trying it, I said like, no, Eclipse is just not my thing anymore. So I think that competition argument is kind of flawed because I think more and more that IntelliJ is moving into a Java, not monopoly space, but you know, if you want to have a good Java IDE, I think IntelliJ is actually the best you can get, to be fair. That, that's probably true. I think IntelliJ, though, is competing in other languages' spaces with... Emacs VI, uh, Adam, Adam, I see that a lot. Uh, Sublime, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, Adam and Adam works great if your project kind of caters for that. It's not a proper IDE from my point of view. Yeah. Adam is an editor. But a lot of people like that sort of light. Yeah, that's, thing. that's fair it's enough. It's not my know? thing, but people Yeah, like exactly. It. I don't like that either. I, I, Sublime is okay if you just want to edit a few files quickly, but it just doesn't give you that nice IDE feeling where you can do a whole bunch of things. Like refactoring, yeah, exactly. Or you know, run your unit tests and things like. Yeah, that. I was I was kind of laughing the other day. It's like I talk to people who are like, "Oh, I run OSX because I just want my machine to just work and do what I needed to do." And it's like, "Oh, what's your IDE? Oh, I run Emacs." It's like, well, isn't that the reverse? Of what you want, like, um, but like. Now, admittedly, I run Linux because I like to tweak the hell out of it, but I run IntelliJ just because I think it's the most powerful editor that I don't have to like hand install packages for. So I have my own irony there as well. Um, but I, don't see, know, I, run Intelli I run IntelliJ on macOS, so it gives me the best of, best of see, both worlds. <laughs> see, psychologically, that makes a lot of sense. I derive such ridiculous <laughs> pleasure out of tweaking my Linux desktop. It's I don't even like I don't even understand it. Um, 
but uh, you know, that's, that's fine. That's, fine. <laughs> that's just me. Oh, so boy. what else do you want okay. to talk about? Strange Loop was Have good. Talk- you mentioned you mentioned that already. Was a good Strange Loop was again? phenomenal. Um, fascinating topics. A, a lot of distributed system stuff. Um, I'm just trying to think if there are any particular standouts. See, if if it wasn't about. such a mission for me to get to to St. Louis, I would you know want to go to Strange Loop every year. Phenomenal. It's just such a pain to get there. It is. I understand. It's not. I was actually really happy to. I got to be involved. I did a. Um, I did a code. What do they call it? Code Carter. It was like this group oh, yeah. programming exercise uh, yep. where one person is the writer, one person's the navigator, and then there's a row of people who can like vocally interact. And the code person can't think for themselves; they can only do what the navigator says. And the people who are in the row can like suggest whatever they want, but it's up to the navigator to do what it is. And then there's one person who's the expert, who you can like ask questions of about the particular language. And they get given a question. I think for this, it was like a Roman numeral additional type problem. Um, and then every four minutes, uh, they rotate through. And it was a really interesting collaborative um, collaborative coding sort of learning exercise. I actually really quite enjoyed. I was the expert for, uh, for Go. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really, yeah, it was actually quite interesting. And I did another sort of building production Go uh, unsession slash structured discussion type thing that I set up as, a, as an unsession, which was, that was loads of fun too. Cool. But um, no, it was great. I'm actually looking at a bunch of this stuff. It was um, some fantastic keynotes. Unfortunately, Kathy Sierra couldn't be there. She was going to be keynoting. Uh, she got injured while riding a horse. Apparently, she's going to be fine though, which is great. Um, I, yeah, I don't even know where to start. It was it was absolutely phenomenal. I love that conference so much. Um, if you want to go, uh, I would say don't because it's really hard to get a ticket right now. So if everyone could not go and I could just get a ticket really easily, that would be fantastic. So Thank how you. long did it take this year to sell the tickets? Like a few hours? It was like, so I thought it was a few hours. Somebody told me it was like half an hour or an hour, which I think is insane. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I, I, I was like, I jumped on it at like 10 a.m. my time. And then everyone in Australia was up by 1 p.m. And all the tickets were gone. Like fifteen hundred tickets, just bang. Just I remember the first year, you know, or not the first year, but the the year we went together. We went together, yeah. Twenty twelve or something like that. Something like that, yeah. And it was like, yeah, I bought my ticket like four weeks in or something like that. It was not a problem at all to get a ticket. <laughs> Did we actually wait that long? I actually try to remember. I'm pretty I, sure the- I. I think even the year after that sold out in like a day or a day and a half. Yeah, exactly. The year after that, it's when it really took off and they sold out really quickly, basically. Yeah. Um, You never got to go to the city museum for the party, did you? No. Uh, You missed out. You would have loved that. (laughs) They have have this party at uh, the city museum, which is like a 10-story tall place that has a slide that goes down 10 stories. Um, there's like concrete dragons in the basement. There's an aquarium. There's a room filled with just like doorknobs. Because it's, but it's not that that science museum that's a bit outside of St. Louis, right? It's something no, walkable from no. from the conference. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Um, they have the party there. They have like it's like they have the bands and upstairs. You can go climbing through everything. There's like a, a bus on the roof, and a plane you can get into. And it's just nuts. <laughs> it's absolutely nuts, but it's a great time. Um, yeah, strangely, it was phenomenal. Met so many cool people there as well. It was great. Yeah, the problem yeah. is also a bit the timing because it's kind of like in the middle of my summer holiday or my winter holiday here usually and then going to Europe in October or something like that or end of October. Yeah. 
So yeah, it's a bit hard to fit it in if if I want to go. And the trip is kind of a pain. It's tough. Tough, tough, tough. Got to find some American clients. Fly you over. Yeah. Well, I could come to San Francisco, just live in your kitchen for a while, and then... With the mice. With the mice, and then move move on to to St. Louis for the conference. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Speaking of conferences, uh, Dev Objective, their call for papers is currently open, and it ends on Sunday. So if yeah, wanna, I need if a sense of hand in for the that. Yeah, I need to. Their call for papers like finished like they're in June, and their call for papers ends in like three days. Like I haven't even like decided on my content for next year. I've got an idea, but I need to test it and make sure it actually works. So I, I think, I think I might reach out to a Simon who's running it and be like, "I want to do a thing. Do I need to tell you what the thing is?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> thankfully, I know all those people, so I can do things like that. Um, so we'll see how that works. But yeah, I'd like to be there. That'd be fun. Are you planning on going? Um, I'm going to hand in a topic or a few topics. Yeah. I've got a few ideas of what I would want to talk about. And um, if they accept a topic, I will most likely go. If they don't accept the topics, then I will most likely not go. Because, you know, the the, the trip and then the ticket and the hotel that just costs a whole yeah. chunk of money no, no, if you no. come from New Zealand. Yeah. So, But, you know, if I get, like, a few hotel nights and the, the ticket for free, it becomes more sustainable, basically. That's totally fair enough. That's totally fair enough. Cool. Have I talked to you about Kubernetes yet? I think we talked about it briefly, and I have a rough idea of what it does. But, you know, if you want to talk about it briefly, we can. That's fine. It's, like, my favorite thing. It's Docker containers. It's just more containers. Um, yeah. <laughs> a friend of mine on Twitter <laughs> said that, I, I saw a thing you, why don't you talk about Kubernetes quickly because I saw a thing um, with Bitnami Stacksmith yeah, what and is that, that seems to be something that is tying into Kubernetes as well Okay, so, so you know Bitnami right they built those installers for all sorts of stuff basically. I use I think one actually oh okay and I think Stacksmith is something that allows you to build Docker containers kind of automatically in some way. They've just announced that the other week and I saw an email coming into my inbox because I'm subscribed to their list and let me just see if I can actually still find that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'm looking at it. So with Stacksmith, you can quickly generate Docker files for your custom applications with just a few clicks. Uh, instantly provision a set of high-quality updated and curated application components. Sleep peacefully with automated notifications of patches and updates upders. interesting okay so it's more about sort of building your document building containers them and making probably, sure yeah. yeah maybe maybe also um hmm, learn how by using bitnami stacksmith and google container registry thumbs up yeah, where do you see that <laughs> on the um, website on the introducing stacksmith uh slash webinar slash stacksmith uh hang on a sec i'm confused <laughs> oh, Kit Merck is on it. Okay, the product manager for Kubernetes um, is is that. Here we go. I'll check you the link. I'll check it on the show notes. So uh, Google Container Registry is our private Docker registry that comes with Google Cloud Platform. Uh, okay. See, I know what that is. Um, so Kubernetes, um, like the the like thirty second uh, scenario for Kubernetes is um, very simple. Really, it's. I have containers, I want to run them, and I want to make sure that if they go down, they come back up again. Um, 
So I have a container or multiple containers and I want to have 10 of those and I want 15 of another one and I want 30 of another one and I want them to run across four different machines and I don't really care which machines they run on and I make sure they stay up and I make sure they're discoverable and I can connect to them and do stuff with them. Um, that's pretty it's much... It's basically orchestration. It's totally orchestration. That's exactly yep. what it does. Um, and it's very slick and actually like, quite easy to use. I, you send up YAML files and you tell the YAML files what to do and Kubernetes goes, fine, I will sort that out for you. That's um, it's pretty awesome. I do like it a lot. Okay. So is that a Google product, or did it get purchased by Google, or is it a third party? So it's so okay. This is actually really interesting too. Um, there is a great video by name a guy by the name of John Wilkes that I've been um, uh, I've been actually toting about all over the place because it's amazing. He was directly involved with Borg at Google, so basically how we do containers at Google. Um, mm -hmm. He talks about all the lessons they learned there and why they do things the way they do. Mm -hmm. And then he talks about how that basically comes about almost directly into um, into how Kubernetes came about. And um, there we go. And you can see papers by him on large-scale cluster management board. And it makes like so much sense when you when you listen to it. Uh, yeah, perfect, got it. Um, and so basically what happened was is they turned around and said, okay, let's take the lessons we've learned from how we do things at Google and then let's apply them to an open source project. So they started this open source project. Mm -hmm. And they quickly got a whole bunch of partners for it too. So Red Hat got really, really, really involved, um, which is really cool. If you listen to the Floss Weekly podcast that I helped put together as well, which was also great fun. Um, and Red Hat sort of brought to the table as well, like all the enterprise customers and all the enterprise needs for it, which is like really powerful if you think about it. So Google doesn't know enterprise, right? We, to, a, to a larger degree, like, you know, we don't we don't service enterprise customers. It's not really what we do. It's like, we're not really customer driven like that. It was like mm -hmm. search and everything else. Like we're sort mm -hmm. of internal phasing. But Red Hat on the other hand does that. That's like what they do. They do enterprise. So it was like a really good meeting of two minds that, to, to build a product. Um, and so, yeah, that, that open source project uh, came about it's like ridiculous there's like 500 committers there's like 3,000 forks um, and then you can run Kubernetes either on our stack or you can run it like on our stack guys on Google Cloud Platform we do a managed version uh, you can run it on AWS you can run it on prem you can run it anywhere you want so if you write an app for Kubernetes in theory you should be able to pick it up and bring it anywhere right or mm -hmm. with some of the stuff that's coming later you could run it across multiple cloud providers um there's a project coming called ubernetes um that they sort of talked about publicly a bit too which hasn't like finalized yet but then like cross cluster orchestration as well so mm -hmm. aws okay. goes down that's, that's bad but if you have cross cluster organization you'd be like oh well, my aws cluster is down but my google cloud platform one is still up so who cares mm -hmm. um you know doing cool stuff like that and i'm really like i really like kubernetes it's pretty pretty awesome um, I can keep going if you want me to for like ages. <laughs> yeah, I can. I can see that. That's fine. Um, we should maybe you know have a session on something like Kubernetes and like how you would, how people would use it. Um, <coughs> in yeah, in a separate day of the week. separate podcast or something like that. Any day of the week, I can get people on even and talk about it if we want. Ah, you know and people. Listen, maybe I know people. I know people at Google. <laughs> um, cool. Now, Kubernetes is, is awesome. I have, yeah, I've done some presentations on it too. It's great fun. Oh, that is cool. What are you doing, Mark? I see you're doing weird things. My wife is pointing at me. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs>
My wife's asking whether or not uh, you can see me. Oh, I can oh, see you can her. See her walk past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Okay. Uh, we have to maybe explain that this is probably the first time ever we're doing this podcast with a video, right? Because Mark talked me into using Google Hangouts. And what are we using for recording the audio? I can't even remember. Yeah. So this is actually kind of cool. It's something I've started doing. So I'm going to segue into something else that I can talk about, which is great fun. Um, so I've been doing a lot more podcasting recently. Um, and one of the things uh, for doing that is I'm using Hangouts on Air, uh, which records. So using that as one, one mechanism. Uh, for people who don't know about Hangouts on Air, you actually have two settings on sound. You can actually have voice and studio. Studio is a lot better. And I'm also using a project called Zencaster, which um, is really awesome. Um, which is basically it'll take whatever the local audio is for anyone who's at this particular website. So you just send them a URL. I sent the URL to, to Kai. He logs in. I'm the owner. I just hit record and it'll record his local audio from his like input device. And I can record my local audio, he sends it to a Dropbox and then like I can download it and mix it together. It means I get really high quality audio, which is super, super nice. Um, yeah, it seems to actually it seems to work well because I can see. I mean, I'm on an ADSL two line, which is not really great. Yeah. So my upstream is particularly limited. So I can see my upstream maxing out occasionally, and I can see actually the Dropbox um, sync icon coming on and off the whole time, basically. So it's clearly uploading into Dropbox while we talk. But it seems to be surprisingly well working from that point of view. And my my previous, I have to honestly th say that my previous experience with Hangouts was just like shocking. You know, up to today, I would have said, like, Hangouts are the worst crap Google has ever done, basically. But, you know, in all, to be, in all fairness, this one works really well. And it might be because, you know, you work for Google and you have a special power do, to, I, do, to do totally. proper Hangouts. Normal no. people don't have that. I don't know. No, 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 no. No, it's all the same. It's all the same. But I wanted to, um, yeah, so I've been doing a lot of podcasting stuff because we sort of, I don't know if soft launches, right, but we've, um, launched a Google Cloud Platform podcast. So now I'm doing a bunch of podcasting, which is great fun. So I, I'm learning a whole lot more about audio editing and audio quality and getting good mics and doing all that sort of good stuff too. Um, but that's been heaps and heaps of fun. So what about intro music for our podcast, Mark? Yeah, we should do that. We used... Uh, no, no, you, should, actually... you should do that because podcast Why? editing is so much fun. <laughs> I don't want to do it for this podcast. This podcast we can just throw up. <laughs> oh, come on, really? <laughs> I might do some minor things. I don't know. Uh, we went through, actually, YouTube has some um, free audio that you can use that, that's royalty free. That's, that's what I used for, uh, that's what we use for GCP. Podcast. Can I just ch uh, find and choose something and you put it in front of our podcast? And sure, I make the decision what it is? Oh, yeah, why not? Okay. There we go. And this should be entertaining, if nothing else. Do I have to just Google for YouTube royalty-free music or what? Something like that, it? yeah. There's there a bunch of them. There's heaps. There's heaps and heaps. YouTube audio library. Oh, YouTube. You okay, cool. Do you want it as yeah. intro and outro too? Yes. This podcast yes. is going to be so boring for our listeners. Oh, my God. Huh? What? <laughs> it's, just, it's just us talking crap for like an hour and a half. No, um, it's, not. it's actually really good, I think. <laughs> We're talking, talking about really useful things. And people learn really? stuff, you know, about Stacksmith and Seaweed and Docker and Kotlin and Frege and all that stuff. That's true. They just go yep. dig through all the noise. That's fine. Oh, cool. Oh, all right. Some, it was never meant to be like more than us talking <laughs> about stuff. 
(laughs) I'm perfectly fine with it continue to do that yeah yeah now I've gone off the deep end with this too I've got like a towel on my on my on my um I've got a towel on my table to like absorb the noise because we've got nice sound blankets at work and just to try and cut down the the background noise and stuff wow that's take this stuff seriously yeah yeah I know I I noticed that reels Got a nice Yeti mic. Cool. How much? Um, how much longer do you want to go? Because we're going for an hour, and I need to get back to actually doing some paid work at some point. Fair enough. This is my day off. All right. Well, I tell you what. Why don't we wrap up there? Um, Do you want to remind people where they can reach you, how to reach you, maybe even where you'll be or anything like that? Yeah, they can reach me on Twitter. Um, I'm Agent K. That's probably the best way to get hold of me. And um, what do you mean where I'm going to be? Are you going to be anywhere? Are you doing any events? Are you doing anything? Yeah, I'm going to be in Australia next week at the Gold Coast. If that, if anyone's at the Gold Coast and wants to catch up with me for anything, feel free to do that. <laughs> but besides that, I'm going to be, at, you know, working from home, looking, doing your thing, doing my thing, okay. looking out at clouds. Basically, my house being in the inside the cloud, <laughs> like an actual cloud. I mean, like you know, an actual cloud. Humid. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! Hold on. Wait a minute. I have more Twitter followers than you. Yes. <laughs> well, you work for Google now. How hard is that? I have like, I have, I have like twenty more Twitter followers than you. <laughs> Whatever. I really. That's a competition. It's a thing now. Uh, you had more than me for ages. Okay, cool. All right, good. That that made my day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever floats your boat, Mark. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, 100 more followers. I'm totally okay with that. Um, yeah, so if people want to reach me at Neurotic, most definitely. Uh, more followers, please. Uh, <laughs> You're begging yeah, for blatant, followers now, really? Blatant pandering. That's exactly what it is. That's what it's come down to. Uh, so definitely at Neurotic, compoundtheory.com. Um, uh, if you're interested in Google Cloud Platform Podcast, it's in the show notes uh, at Google GCP Podcast as well. Um, I'm starting my own podcasting network, apparently. Uh, but I will also be, uh, because of, I'm an idiot, uh, I will be in Vancouver on December 12th um, doing a dev fest uh, for Google stuff um, in the middle of winter. Canada in the middle of winter, because that's a great idea. Uh, <laughs> it, awesome. should be, it, sh- it should be lots of fun, but it's going to be cold. Um, but Vancouver is supposed to be a really nice city. It is. It is. And I don't think it's going to drop too far below freezing, thank God. Um, I've done that before and that's no fun. All right, then I think that'll cool. probably, probably do us. That was loads of fun. We should probably yeah. do this again at some point in the near distant future. Yeah. We've got a few more topics that we didn't really get to, to talk about and I'll move them to episode 40, um, to the episode yeah, 40, 40 whole episodes. Oh my God. That's such a mess. I think we average like an episode every two months or something. Yeah, that's not too bad, you know, given that sometimes we don't do anything for six months. <laughs> yeah, last time was June. Into... Hmm? Yeah, last one that's we kind of embarrassing. June. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we should try and get one done maybe once a month or so. Yeah, we should. Maybe another one for, before Christmas. That works. Holiday yeah, episode. Ooh, holiday episode. So you have a holiday upcoming as well, right? Thanksgiving is kind of soon, soon yeah. week in the US, isn't it? When is it? This weekend? Yeah. Next weekend? It's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Tomorrow. Cool. Tomorrow. Then Today's... have a good. Yeah, go on. Have a good Thanksgiving. You know, do you have Thank a turkey you. and all that 
We're stuff that's going happening. to some friends. I believe there'll be turkey, probably, and lots of children, and and hopefully some family angst. I feel like that every sitcom I've ever seen has said that there should be family angst at a at a Thanksgiving party, like someone okay. who's just like racist and somebody else who just <laughs> another family member that gets drunk. Like I just assume that's what happens. That's what they do for Thanksgiving. Okay, cool. Wonderful. I'm pretty sure you're gonna report on how your Thanksgiving experience in the US was. Yeah, I'm sure everyone cares. I'm sure they're like, yeah, that, that's exactly what I want to hear about. <laughs> cool. Cool. Alrighty. All right. I'll chat with you later. I'll talk to you later. Thanks. Okay.